Hey everybody, welcome to the hashtag Get Real Woke Podcast. I'm your host, Frederick D. Scott. And today is Situation Saturday, where I take business and finance topics and I relate them to current events that are going on in our community or in the business and finance world in general. Now, before I get into today's topic, I need everybody, you know, you y'all know how I do now. I need everybody to hit that like button, hit the subscribe button, hit the notification bell, leave me a comment at the bottom of this video, and make sure you hit the join button to join the hashtag Real Woke Live Chat Community. All right, let's get into it. So today's topic, I want to talk about the cannabis industry. And I want to talk about more specifically uh, within the cannabis industry. I want to talk about business. I want to talk about banking. And I want to talk about investing in cannabis businesses. And more specifically, uh, startup cannabis businesses, startup cannabis ideas, et cetera, et cetera. I kind of want to get into this. And I, and I want to lay out the, the facts as they really, really are. Because, you know, I, I'm hearing things... Uh, that are concerning to me, you know, and I'm seeing things that are, are concerning to me uh, within the community and, and outside of the community as well. You know, there seems to be this new thing, especially because uh, New York just actually um, has recently allowed recreational marijuana use here. Uh, so this conversation is starting again, right? And what I'm starting to see are these quote unquote cannabis consultants, cannabis gurus, et cetera, et cetera, uh, promising that if you pay them $5,000, $3,000, $10,000, I've seen varying different amounts that they can guarantee that your cannabis business will be licensed that you'll be able to have a cannabis business, all of these great, wonderful promises that are, are uh, couldn't be further from the truth. So I thought I'd come on and, and talk about, you know, what this is, what it takes, what the realities of, of the situations are currently, and some of the things that are on the books legislatively at the federal level that could pass uh, fully passed, that is, uh, but there's no certainty on that yet. And I'll get into that in, in a bit. So, so first of all, let me lay out some facts as they really are. All right. 95% of people that have an idea to get into the cannabis industry and start some sort of business, uh, in the cannabis industry will not succeed. Let me say that again, 95% of people that have an idea to start a cannabis business and get into the cannabis industry will not succeed, uh, at least at this time. And the reason why that is, is because of the hurdles and cost and knowledge you have to have about general business to even be able to have a real shot at this, not to mention the level uh, and the types of relationships that you would need to have uh, to massage your application over the finish line, right? So, okay, 
let's get into some baseline realities. I like facts. You know, as I always say, facts have no feelings. Only people do. So let's get into some facts. So I'm going to talk about, and I am for my examples, I'm going to use the state of Colorado. And the reason why I want to use the state of Colorado, the state of Colorado is because, well, they were the first to do it. And, and more importantly, they've got a pretty robust uh, system in place at this point. Uh, California is another place that has a pretty robust system. And I'm going to talk briefly on California because Los Angeles County is doing something pretty interesting there that I haven't seen in other states at this point. Uh, and so I, I do want to highlight that uh, a little bit as well. Uh, but I'm going to, for the most part, use Colorado, the state of Colorado, as my example to help you kind of understand uh, what this takes. So, okay, let's jump right into this. So, first of all, if you want to start a cannabis business, uh, you know, whether you're growing, whether you're uh, running a retail uh, store that sells cannabis uh, and procures cannabis from retail growers, et cetera, et cetera. All of these things require licensing, right? Even if you wanted to get into the transporting of, of cannabis or the transporting of capital made from a legitimate cannabis business, all of these things require licensing. If you want to use marijuana in some sort of edible, such as a brownie or um, a candy or, or the like, that too requires licensing. So all of this requires licensing. So before you can even get into the cannabis space, before you can even begin to, to, to consider operating within the cannabis space as a cannabis business, you, you have to get through licensing. And that licensing itself, getting through the licensing process is going to kill 80 to 85% of people that apply. And I'm just going to tell you straight up. So let's get into this, right? So if you, if you take a look at the state of California, what you find is they have six different licensing um six different licensing types of licensing that you can apply for. Right. And, and I'm going to tell you what those licenses are. So first of all, they have a, a retail marijuana store. And in the state of California, what a retail marijuana store is, it's a license type necessary to operate a business that sells retail marijuana to an individual 21 years of age or older as described in section 41-12402 CRS, which is their legislation that governs, uh, that specific subsect of the cannabis industry. Now, the next license they have that you can apply for is the retail marijuana cultivation license. And what that is, this license type is necessary in order to operate a facility to grow and harvest retail marijuana plants. So if you wanted to have a grow operation, then you would need a retail marijuana cultivation license. The third license that they have is the Retail Marijuana Product Manufacturer. And what is that? This license type is necessary in order to operate a facility that manufactures retail marijuana-infused products, such as edibles, concentrates, or tinctures, as described in Section 44-1204 CRS. Okay, so this is that license is specifically for people that want to get into edibles, concentrates, and they want to use uh, marijuana as a base product 
uh, for these edibles and these concentrates, et cetera, et cetera. There's a specific license for that. And that's a, a retail marijuana product manufacturer. Now, the fourth license that they have is the retail marijuana testing facility. And this license type is necessary in order to operate a facility that conducts potency and contaminants testing for other MED licensed retail marijuana businesses. So they even, even if you want to have a testing facility that tests the quality of marijuana and all of those different types of things, there's a specific license that you have to get to be able to even do that. Now, the fifth license that they have is the retail marijuana transporter. And this license type is necessary in order to provide transportation and temporary storage services to retail marijuana businesses. Now, so it says transportation and temporary storage. I want you to know that, that they are mutually exclusive. So even if you just want to transport and not store, even if you just want to store and not transport, you still must get a retail marijuana transporter license. Right. Finally, the sixth license and the last license they have is what's called a retail marijuana operator. This license type is necessary to provide professional operational services to one or more retail marijuana businesses, as described in Section 4412407 CRS, which again is the, the legislation that governs that subset. Now, so what you see here is that there are several different licensing types. And this is, and, and why I like Colorado is because a lot of states model their, their and, are, and are modeling uh, their marijuana uh, business industry uh, practices, procedures, and legislations after what Colorado did because Colorado was immensely successful at uh, the way they, they rolled out and governed uh, uh, the marijuana industry in their state. So a lot of a lot of other states are sitting up and taking notice of that. And as they're developing and rolling out uh, legislation, they're definitely uh, kind of borrowing things from the state of Colorado uh, and either in augmenting or maybe uh, pulling back some things uh, for the, the marijuana industry. Now, so those are your different types of licenses. Let's talk about uh, the fees associated with getting a license uh, to be able to operate in the marijuana industry uh, in the state of Colorado, because again, that's the example that I'm using. Okay, so the application fee alone is $4,000, okay? That is the new application fee. If you are thinking about getting in the cannabis industry, the application fee alone is $4,000, right? But okay, that's just the fee for the application. You have your state fees as well, and they vary based on the type of license you're applying for. So if you're uh, applying for a retail marijuana cultivation license, that costs you an additional $4,000. So in total, to be able to have the opportunity to secure the license, you're going to spend $8,000. And, and by the way, that money that you spend is, is non-refundable. So if you are not successful in, your, in being granted a license, it doesn't mean you get a refund on your application fee or your, li or your state licensing fee. Now that money's gone. So, so it's $4,000 for a retail marijuana cultivation license to apply for that. The retail marijuana transporter license is $4,900. So we're talking about $8,900 if you want to become 
uh, a retail marijuana transporter. Uh, retail marijuana operators are $2,700. So we're talking about $6,700 if you want to become a retail marijuana operator. So what you see here is that while, while the cost fluctuates, we're talking about roughly six to nine grand in, in cost just to be able to submit the application. That's just to be able to submit the application. Now, what you need to know is with the exception of, of the state of California and more specifically Los Angeles County, if you have a criminal background, it's a wrap for you, especially if, if your crime was drug related. Do you have a drug related felony? It's a wrap for you. If you have any type of felony, it's going to be extremely difficult for you to be granted a license and likely you're not going to be granted the license. So if you have a background and you're thinking about, you know, getting into the cannabis business, I would rethink that position because the odds of you getting the license is slim to none. More importantly is the fact that when you apply for this license, and this is why I said you have to have some pretty substantive business skills, experience, or some consultants around you that really understand business development and how to structure a business properly. Because in order to be granted the license, see, there's a lot of other things that are going to come after you are successful in getting the license, if you should be successful in getting the license. And so the reality of the situation is what a lot of states are starting to move towards is kind of like a due diligence on the business uh, itself, a, a more uh, enhanced level of due diligence on the business itself to make sure that they're not granting a license to a business that won't eventually be able to operate and, and wasting a license space. And I'll get into licensing space uh, shortly. Now, so that means you've got to have good internal control policies and procedures. You've got to have a certain level of transparency and accountability, dual signatory authorization controls. You've got to have a top-end accounting firm that has experience dealing in the cannabis industry because of, of the requirements that you're going to have later. You're going to have to have an auditor in place. These are the baseline things that you have to have in place. you got to have impeccable record keeping. You've got to be able to track the flow of capital. It's impeccable that you have these things in place because if these things aren't in place, you're not going to get through the licensing process. And putting these types of things in place cost you tens of thousands of dollars. I can tell you tens of thousands of dollars just to get the right procedures, documents, and, and structure in place to be able to meet the bare minimum requirements necessary to successfully secure uh, a cannabis license. Now, here's the more interesting thing. Every state that's doing this has a certain amount of licenses that they want to give out a year. And they either have that published, some states have it published, some states just have kind of an unwritten understanding that they only want to do a certain amount of licenses a year right? So what that means is that be, there is a lot of competition <coughs> for a small amount of, 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 of licensing uh, uh, 
uh, of licensing of licenses that are available. So there's a, 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 a large competition pool for the licensing and a, and a small amount of licensing that's available. So of course, when you have a high level of competition for a thing that is in very short supply, of course, the state is going to take the best possible candidates, right? And what you're going to find when you start looking at marijuana businesses, you start looking at these boards of directors, you start looking at the senior executives, what you're going to find is that they have, you know, several years of experience in either the pharmaceutical industry uh, or another uh, uh, synergistic in industry vertical that that they, and they've got tons of years, 20 years, 15 years, 10 years, et cetera, et cetera, doing a thing and running business, right? They've also got some pretty substantial backing. They probably got some venture capital money, some private equity money. Uh, a lot of them come from Wall Street. These are the types of people that are, are securing, successfully securing licensing. And I'm going to get into why that is in, in, in a bit. Now, Beyond that, you got to have some relationships. You got to have some pretty strong political relationships in that state if you think you want to get licensing across. Because, you know, in a highly competitive environment like that, political associations and relationships can help uh, smooth out the process, can help oil along and, and, and guide that application along to successful completion. So not only do you have to have the knowledge and the capital, you also have to have the relationships to be able to successfully secure a, a cannabis marijuana license in this current climate. See, what you have to understand about this climate is that this climate is like what I would call a, we are moving into a post-prohibition era climate. And what do I mean by that? So, you know, for those of you who know about this, maybe you were alive during that time, maybe you had grandparents that talked about it, a mom that talked about it. You know, there was a point in time in the United States where alcohol was considered uh, a prohibited product, uh, was a prohibited substance. And so, when when alcohol became legal for consumption in the United States, you know, this was the post-prohibition era, you know, it didn't just happen overnight. There was a lot of, it was a lot of slow going at first. And, you know, when they started giving out liquor licenses, they were very selective. And it was it was a very select, a selective process for liquor licensing. Cannabis licensing is very much in that stage right now. May there come a time where, where licensing for the cannabis industry is more uh, readily available? Possibly, possibly, but today is not that day. And so I, I want you to understand that right now, getting through all of that, you still have a, a very big hurdle that you have to get over, right? And that, and, and this is if you're considering setting up, you have to think through all of these things, right? Now, here's another thing that, that a lot of people are, are not really considering and not really talking about. Now, and the reason why I'm talking about this is because, well, one, I come from the banking industry, but two, right, I have been seeing things, articles, and I've heard people say that, oh, um, 
federally chartered banks won't open your bank account, but state chartered banks will. That is false. Let me tell you the truth. There are about seven banks right now that have cannabis accounts, that have businesses, cannabis businesses at the bank. There are about seven, and I'm not going to name the seven. Of those seven, five of those banks aren't even taking new accounts for the cannabis industry at this point. So there really are only two banks right now that are even cannabis industry friendly, and it's very quiet and off the radar. This is not something they're broadcasting. This is not something you would know about. The only way you find out about this is if you have the relationships to know you are in the know. So because of the, the, the secrecy surrounding these institutions and the fact that they're not publicly broadcasting uh, this information themselves, I'm certainly not going to name those institutions. But what I can tell you is there are only two. Why is that, right? Why is it that, so, 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 so before I get into asking the why, know that opening a bank account for a cannabis-based business, a marijuana business, is impossible. It's near impossible. Why is that? While states like Colorado and California and New York to a certain extent, New Jersey to a certain extent have legalized recreational use for, for cannabis, it is still considered a schedule one drug under federal law right? So it is still illegal under federal law. As of today, it is still illegal under federal law. What does that mean? That means that when a deposit-taking institution like a Chase Bank, a TD Bank, a PNC Bank, a Wells Fargo, et cetera, et cetera, when they go to allow you a bank account and to put that money into their depository institution, they are engaged in money laundering at that point under federal law. And the federal law that they violate is the United States Patriot Act's Bank Secrecy Act, which has a KYC and AML requirement. Know your client and anti-money laundering. And if you want to know more about that, I talked about that in a bit of length in my uh, PPP loan processing secrets. I talked about KYC and AML and what that is. So feel free to go back to that video and kind of, I timestamped the video. So definitely feel free to go back to that area in the video and check that out so you can understand AML. So, so even if a, so the net effect is even if the state is legally uh, giving licenses and has legalized the process of, of having uh, a, a marijuana business in that, that state, that, that does not negate federal law, right? And so when a bank takes on that deposit, under federal law, because it's still illegal, under federal law, all marijuana distribution is illegal under federal law, regardless of whether the states have given licensing or not, that bank is most certainly uh, engaged uh, in, in money laundering at that point. And they can lose their licenses, their licenses can be restricted, deposit taking can be restricted, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now, so, so let, me, let, me, let me get through the, the misnomer that 
you know, okay, if you want a, 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 a bank account for a marijuana business, why don't you just go ahead and not deal with a federally chartered bank, but deal with a state chartered bank? That's a bank that's been licensed uh, in that state. Uh, for example, let's say the state of Colorado, the, the state of Colorado's banking division has issued that bank a charter to be able to become a depository taking institution. And so the, the myth that's going around now is that, you know, if it's a state chartered bank in a state where it's legal uh, to have a marijuana business, then they won't have a problem taking your deposits. That is completely and utterly false. And let me tell you why. So all banks, regardless of if you're federally chartered or if you're state chartered, all depository taking institutions have what is called FDIC insurance. The federal, keyword here, federal deposit insurance corporation. They all have it. And because they have FDIC insurance, right, they're still subject to federal law, even though they have a state banking charter. More than that, and again, I'll reference you back to my PPP loan processing secrets video where I talked about this a bit more. Um, all depository taking institutions, right? regardless of whether they're federally chartered or state chartered, are still subject to the United States Department of Treasury's Section 314A and 314B rules and regulations, which is information sharing system, which is Section 314B, and Section 314A is the risk department's requirement. The Department of Treasury requires the risk departments that find a depository taking institutions to check their accounts against the OFEC list and, and on a regular basis. And so that is a requirement. So because they are subject to those laws, rules, and regulations, they're also subject to the United States Department of Treasury, which again is a federal agency. So the laws that govern how the Department of Treasury uh, works and the requirements that they have on financial institutions are federal laws. Finally, finally, and here's the interesting thing. So all depository taking institutions use the automated clearinghouse, ACH, right? They allow you ACH deposits and they allow you to send wire transfers, right? Wire transfers run through the Federal Reserve Bank. The Federal Reserve Bank is a quasi-federal government entity. It is not, it is a private company, but it is governed by a board of governors appointed and 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 approved by the United States Senate. And so that being the case, right, because they are subject to uh, the the Federal Reserve Bank in the United States, the Federal Reserve Bank is governed by federal laws. So even if you're a state charter bank, you don't have a federal charter, you have a state charter, you're still subject to a number of federal laws. And so that's why even state banks are unwilling to open bank accounts for the marijuana industry at this time. In fact, interestingly enough, I know of three marijuana businesses that had bank accounts. They Well, they have them now, but they've gone through 10 different financial institutions to be able to finally, I mean, they open one at one, it, it lasts a little while, then it closes. Then they got to move around, move around, move around, move around, move around, right? And, you know, there's no guarantee that the, the accounts they have now will stay open. So let's just, you know, deal with that. Now, 
for the financial institutions, and this will get into an another thing that I'm going to talk about, but for the financial institutions that are holding cannabis accounts or may be willing to open an account for a cannabis-based business, right? The level of audit and scrutiny that the bank is going to put you through, they're going to routinely throughout the year audit your bank records, your accounting, your so that when I say your accounting, I mean your balance sheet, your statement of cash flows, your income statement. They're going to be looking at the source of funds, the tracking. They're going to look at your entire business life cycle to be able to comply and execute uh, at the level that you need to execute at successfully to satisfy a bank audit is extremely expensive. And that's going to be a monthly routine cost that you pay to maintain that level of compliance and that level of, of, of document control and retention, that level of internal control policies and procedures, that level of, of dual signatory authorization controls, the level of policies and procedures and things. And let's not count the payroll that you would have to pay for qualified seasoned experts that would be working in your accounting department day in and day out to make sure that they're being able to comply and work with their outside consultants that are consulting the business regarding these various different areas that you would have to be checking the boxes in to be successfully. Now, so that's that, right? So, so even if you could get through the entire process and successfully uh, get a bank account, there's no guarantee that that bank account is going to st stay open and you're going to have the headache all over again. Now, let's talk about another issue that you have, right? Another issue that you have is the fact that, so if you want to take point of sale transactions, and what is a point of sale transaction? A point of sale transaction is basically, you know, when you go into the store and you put your debit card into the machine to pay for something that you're buying at the store, that's called a point of sale system. What you put your card into is called a point of sale system. That is a point of sale transaction. So now if you want a merchant account, which is what a point of sale transaction is run on, what's called a merchant account, well, that merchant account is going to take you. So I don't know any merchants right now that are, that are taking on uh, uh, cannabis-based businesses. But even if some merchant was willing to say, yes, I'll take on a cannabis-based business, the truth of the situation is in order to successfully complete the cannabis uh, licensing, uh, or I'm sorry, the cannabis uh, merchant account opening process uh, for your business, you have to have a bank account because you got to connect a bank account to that merchant account. So if you don't have a bank account, you can't get a merchant account. But me personally, I don't know any merchants right now uh, that are providing merchant accounts to cannabis holders. So now, right, you've got to operate an all-cash business. Now, how about this? More than that, if you're operating in an all-cash business, now you've got to be able to track all those funds. You've got to be able to source all those funds that they came from clean and clear sources. And this is saying you're going to try to put them in the bank because you are able to get a bank account open and keep it. How about... Remember that licensing for transporting business, marijuana transporting businesses. Well, how about the banks uh, in the state of Colorado specifically only have two transport uh, companies that they're even going to be willing to work with? 
and the level of scrutiny that those transporting companies are going to put your company through. That's additional cost to comply with their level of scrutiny because they're scrutinizing a different side of the business than the banks. So the banks are scrutinizing everything. The, 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 the transporting company is coming in specifically to scrutinize that money. Right. And so that's another thing that you have to deal with and another cost associated uh, with dealing if you want to start a cannabis based business. Now, there is potential good news on the horizon. So just recently, the United States House of Representatives passed what's called the Safe Banking Act of 2021 and 2022. And what it's basically going to do here, I'll read it directly to you. It's uh, the Secure and Fair Econ uh, I'm sorry, Secure and Fair Enforcement Banking Act of 2021 or the Safe Banking Act of 2021. This bill generally prohibits a federal banking regulator from penalizing a depository institution for providing banking services to a legitimate cannabis-related business. Prohibited penalties include terminating or limiting the deposit insurance or share insurance of a depository institution solely because the institution provides financial services to a legitimate cannabis-related business and prohibiting or otherwise discouraging a depository institution from offering financial services to such a business. Okay, so that is the legislation that was just passed at the uh, United States House of Representatives, but it is not a law yet. Why? Because it has not passed the Senate. It has not been signed by the current administration, uh, the Biden administration, and the President Biden is lukewarm on, on cannabis legislation reform. So it may or may not become a law. And that's reality, right? So now, so I shared with you, you know, the business hurdles and banking hurdles, and I, and I hope I've explained this very clearly. So I share all of this with you to tell you this. What I am seeing uh, is a lot of not only self-styled gurus, right? But I'm seeing a lot of these, these, these cannabis, these people that have these cannabis ideas that are going around trying to raise money in the African-American community for a startup cannabis business idea. And they're talking about how much money they're going to make because of the legalization of marijuana and promising that marijuana is going to be legalized at the federal level. And when it does, it's better to be on the ground floor. Cause if you're on the ground floor, you know, you started with me before it got legalized and we'll, because we're on the ground floor, we'll have, you know, right pickings and first pickings at, at, at what's available and we'll all make millions and millions and millions of dollars. And it all sounds great. Some of them have uh, slideshows and, you know, what I'll call a business outline because they're not really business plans. They have a business outline. And, you know, people are becoming susceptible to this and actually giving people money. I would highly discourage anyone from investing in a startup cannabis business venture. I would highly discourage anyone from investing in a startup cannabis venture because of all the things that I have discussed in this video 
and the fact that 95% of these ventures will not see licensing. And without licensing, there is no cannabis business. If there is a cannabis business without licensing, it is an illegal business for which you can go to prison. Okay. So when you, when someone's coming to you talking about, um, their startup cannabis business, your answer should be a clear and unequivocal no at this point in time, right? Now, that is not to say that at a later time, maybe a few years from now, that that would not be a more viable investment. Today is not that day. I can tell you specifically Frederick Douglas Scott, that's me, Frederick D. Scott, has no investments in the marijuana industry currently, nor am I looking for cannabis-related investments uh, for our family's investment portfolio. I do not feel at this time that it is the right time to be making those kinds of investments uh, based on where things are at the federal level. Do I think that marijuana will become legalized at the federal level at some point? Absolutely. Do I think that point is upon us now? No, I don't. So there that is, right? So what questions should you be asking a potential startup business venture uh, in the cannabis industry if they're asking you for money? It's very simple. Ask them if they've gotten licensing. Are you licensed? Have you gotten through the licensing process? If the answer is no, they haven't gotten through the licensing process, this is not a viable investment. And they may say, no, well, I haven't gotten through the licensing process yet. I've talked to some people. I'm going to submit a licensing application, but that's why I'm raising the money so I can come up with the money to submit the licensing application, blah, 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 blah. Listen, you never invest in any business owner or business where the business owner has no skin in the game. If the business owner that is considering a cannabis-related investment is not willing or does not have the ability to come up with the capital on his own absent of your money to pay the licensing fees, to go through the licensing process to see if they can successfully secure a cannabis license, it is not worth you taking the risk and giving them the money. Because remember, and I'll say this again, 95% of people that will go through the cannabis licensing process will not succeed. They will not be issued a license. So if you allow them to talk you into giving them the money to go through the licensing process, that money will more likely than not be lost. So I highly suggest that you don't do that. If they tell you they have secured a cannabis license, go to the state's website, whatever state they claim to be licensed in, and verify that license. If they give you a company's name that is licensed, ask them for the articles of incorporation or articles of organization for that company and the bylaws and operating agreements so you can verify that they actually own the company. Take the time to call the state and ask the state if the person that is talking to you about investing money with them is the person that actually owns the business. Because if they're not, I, you know, people try a lot of different things, right? So you got to be careful. This goes back to doing due diligence. No one will take care of your money better than you will. So make sure you take the time to do the due diligence, ask the right questions 
So that way you preserve your capital because at the end of the day, especially in the fact that federal pandemic unemployment assistance is ending September 6th and 26 states have, are going to be opting out early, some as early as uh, June 26th, you know, money is tight. It always has been in the African-American community. Do not allow someone to talk you out of what you've worked so hard to get because the savings that you have, you worked hard for. And the fact of the matter is, right, it would be very difficult to save that money all over again. Just think about everything you went through to save the money that you've already saved. Think about having to start all over and go through that whole process again because you believed in or trusted the wrong person because you didn't ask the right questions. Do you really want that to be the case for you? So the net effect is, and I say it again one more time, I strongly discourage investing in startup cannabis business ventures. Simply say no. Did you know that saying no to something, no matter what it is, is 33.3% easier to say than yes. It's easier to say no by 33.3%. So get comfortable with the word no. Use it often, use it regularly, especially when it comes to shady investments. Lastly, if you're not sure and you're looking and someone's talking to you about a potential cannabis investment, or you've got some fly-by-night guru that's promising you and guaranteeing you licensing uh, for a cannabis venture that you're considering starting, and you're not sure uh, if it's viable, real, or legitimate, feel free to reach out to me on Instagram at Frederick D. Scott. I'd be happy to take a look at it for you because the number one goal for me is to protect the community from people who would try to come in and, and rob them blind. So anyway, guys, that's all I have for you today. That's all I wanted to share with you guys today. Uh, I hope you appreciated this discussion. I hope you learned a lot. Um, I hope you gained some new information that um, will benefit you in your journey towards accomplishing your uh, personal or professional finance and or business goals. As always, I thank you guys so much for taking the time to spend with me on this here hashtag situation Saturday. Yo, feel free to hit that like button, hit the subscribe button, turn on your bell notification, and most definitely leave me a comment at the bottom of this video to let me know what you think. Lastly, Make sure you hit that join button and join the hashtag Real Woke Live Chat community. It is because of your support, your generous support of the hashtag Get Real Woke podcast that I'm able to come on here and, and lace y'all with this wonderful game. Keep dropping these gems on you. Keep dropping these jewels. Keep making this quality content. And more importantly, it is because of your support that I'm able to roll out uh, great programs and initiatives and continue to roll out even more programs and initiatives that will benefit us as a community 
collectively. And that's my ultimate goal. That's where my passion lies at this point. Thank you for everybody that already does support me, your support, and, and those that support the podcast. Your support is very much appreciated. It means more to me than you could possibly imagine. Thank you guys so much for spending time with me. And until the next Situation Saturday, I holla!